You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome into a Victory Monday edition of Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana sports station. What's going on, Matt Miguez here? And I know what you're thinking. Matt, every Monday is a Victory Monday. It's because our teams just keep winning. Our teams are good at what they do. Cajun sweep UTA. LSU wins the series against Alabama. The Cajun softball team won the Sun Belt. McNeese won the one seed in the, in the Southland. What a weekend. We've got plenty of softball talk to get into as, as conference awards for both the Sun Belt and the Southland were given out today. Uh, Dylan Cruz being named SEC Co-Player of the Week as well. We'll dive into that with Wilson Alexander at 4.30. Let me bring in the producer extraordinaire slash the co-host with the most, Mr. James Mesh. James, good afternoon, my friend. How was your weekend? It was pretty good. Not too bad, uh, other than the Celtics loss, but it was, it was pretty good overall. Yeah. You know, you, you bring up the Celtics loss. You know you know better than I do what, what went wrong in that game. And you and, and you know, we'll dive into it a little deeper, but just on the surface, you know, what what happened over the weekend? Well Jason Tatum played like Pooh. Oh. <laughs> he he played awfully from the offensive side. He did all right on the defensive side, but but when it came to the offensive side, he had 10 points. I yep. think he was 0 for 7 or 4 of for... 4 of 19 shooting, 0 for 6 from 3. Yeah. It was it was not fun to watch. He did have four blocks though. He did. That's why I said he had a good game defensively, but when it came to playing offensively where you kind of need to score and 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 then Giannis That was a goal 10. No, I'm not I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about Giannis's performance. Oh, he yeah, he, I mean, he does it every time just fast break i mean he's unstoppable at that point yikes so 2-1 they play game four tonight how you feeling i'm gonna just say with how bad the team play overall and the fact that they never really let it slip away i mean there was at one point when they were down 14 that was the largest deficit they had but the fact that it was within a couple of possessions all night and they were even leading at halftime. The fact that they were shooting 30% as a team, whereas the Bucks were shooting 45 46% for, for most of the game, the fact that they were only down two or like four or six, like close game the whole time. And how with how bad some of the players played offensively, like I said, Jason Tatum, the fact that they only lost by two and with all the bad calls right. that either went the Bucks way or the no calls that went the Bucks way. The fact that they only lost by two is encouraging. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you talked about they could have they could have folded so many times. Seeing that, like we we saw so many fouls on the Celtics, like like the Bucks draw a charge, but the Bucks or the Celtics do the same thing, and then they just don't call it, and it's like, okay, well, how how are you calling this evenly? And then the Giannis block, 
Giannis is blocked three or four shots when they should have been called goaltending. He's he's next to the rim. Jason Tatum shot it from about the free throw line. I get it. Giannis can jump really high. He's got really long arms. But if you look at it, with how close he is, there's no way he catches it at the apex, at the top of the point. If it's going down, which it was, it's a goal 10. And they haven't called any of those. Well, that that's just a case of, of, of your superstars... Getting all the calls, getting, getting what they want, getting all the calls and no, yeah. like I said, they're they're just getting pretty much all the calls and no calls. There's yeah. so many times that Tatum gets fouled or somebody else gets fouled, and they don't call it. But the littlest bit, they go in the Bucks' favor. It's like, right, really? Yeah. I mean, they. I mean, it's not that the Celtics are getting no calls, but the Celtics are getting a getting hit a lot with fouls and. The Bucks, it feels like, are not getting enough. Like, if we're, are we calling a physical game or not? I'm confused. Are we letting the players play or not? Because I see the Celts getting physically assaulted, and nothing's being called. But if you lay one finger on Giannis, two free throws, unless he dunks it, and then it's uh, shoot the extra free throw. I think we're going to start a new segment called Mesh's Monday Mania uh, because he, he he got a little he got a little feisty there. But I'm going to be honest, this weekend was probably one of the crazier weekends in sports that we have seen in a while. The Sixers came back from the dead. I mean, you had the NBA playoffs, which produced a couple of great games. You had college baseball, which again produced some great games. MLB baseball, the WNBA kicked off this weekend. And the second craziest Kentucky Derby ever. I mean, Rich Strike was an 80 to 1 long shot who didn't enter into the race until Friday morning, 30 seconds before the deadline. Game hotline 706 0111 if you want to chime in, talk about the Kentucky Derby, NBA playoffs, what have you. T joins us on the hotline. What's going on, T? How's your Monday? I'm doing great, Mr. Miguez, and yourself. Oh, man, I'm living the dream. What can I do you? Uh, well, I just want to say congratulations to all the Louisiana uh, teams south of I-10. Uh, you know, they did LSU, UL, everything, and especially my alma mater, uh, Nora Mean, who is headed back to Sulphur to play Thursday. So, just want to congratulate all those guys. Absolutely, absolutely. We'll dive into that a little bit later in the show. Yeah, I got you. Oh, and by the way, the Kentucky Derby, uh, Mister Tom, I heard him on several shows, and he said the only one moving forward was that horse. All the rest were just yep, <laughs> you know. And I love that thing, you know. He yeah. was the only one going forward. Yeah, because if you, if you watched that, that final stretch, it kind of looked like everybody else was stagnant, and he was the only one, you know, pushing forward. They were running in place. Right. Like Mr. Tom said, they were running in place. And this horse just said, nah, I ain't going to be here. Yeah, no, it was it was fantastic. So, it was one of the craziest things I'd ever seen. 
Hey, look, enjoy y'all show, man. Keep up the good. Appreciate it, T. So yeah, eighty to one long shot entered the Derby after a horse withdrew. Thirty seconds left into the deadline, the um, the jockey had only won a couple of short track races. And not to mention, they started, since they were the last entrant, they started in the worst possible position. There were 20 horses. They were in gate number 20, all the way on the outside. So you basically had to let everybody get in front so that you could get to the rail because the rail, the inside of the rail is where you know, you're going to get the fastest traction. And so he had to let everybody get in front of him to get to the inside of the rail. And then Sonny Leone just worked his way up to the front. We actually have the the call of the final you know, minute or so of the Kentucky Derby from Saturday's broadcast at Churchill Downs. So, Mike Tirico said it was one of the largest upsets in Kentucky Derby history. It was actually the second largest, and it was the largest since 1913. Oh, my God. 1913 was the largest upset. So, on a $2 bet on Saturday, if you put a $2 bet on Rich Strike, you made one sixty three sixty on two bucks. 80 to 1 odds. So that was the that was the second largest. The largest was Donnerail in 1913. If you would have placed a $2 bet on that horse, you would have made 184.90. So about 92 to 1 odds. 148th running of the Kentucky Derby, and this was the second largest upset in history. I mean, listen to the story. The jockey had never run the derby. The horse wasn't in the race until 30 seconds before the deadline. The trainer had never entered a horse in the derby. They paid $30,000 for it at a claim race and then took home nearly $2 million. And now you've got the chance or, or the opportunity to... Go to the Preakness and go to Belmont and do something that only 13 horses in history have done. Only 13 horses have ever won the Triple Crown. Secretariat, American Pharaoh, 
just to name two of them. Kentucky Derby, Preakness, and Belmont are the three races you got to win to win the Triple Crown. Rich Strike, again, a horse that they paid $30,000 for, is a third of the way there. Absolutely insane. We have an awesome Victory Monday show for you today. We're going to talk some NBA playoffs, Cajuns baseball, Tigers baseball, softball. We have an in-depth profile analysis on Chris Olave coming your way in the 5 o'clock hour. And as we do every Monday, Tiger Talk with the Advocates Wilson Alexander. Let's take a time out, and when we return, Mesh and I will talk some NBA playoffs. Big weekend in the NBA, and it's going to be an even bigger week coming down the stretch in the second round. You're listening to Crunch Time with me, Gaz, and Mesh here on The Game, 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. It is Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with tickets to a special sneak peek Top Gun Maverick. That's right. You can see it before anyone else. All you got to do is text Top Gun to 68683. That's Top Gun to 68683 to score a pair of tickets for a special sneak peek May 26th at the Celebrity Theater in Broussard. It's the Top Gun sneak peek preview brought to you by Big Boy Toys and The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Crunch time with Miguez and Mesh. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Go ahead to Facebook and Twitter to answer our poll question of the day. What was your favorite part of the weekend? Was it the Kentucky Derby? Was it LSU taking two out of three over Alabama? Was it the Cajuns sweeping UT Arlington at home? Was it, you know, the NBA? Was it Cajuns softball winning the Sun Belt? McNeese softball winning the Southland. The Saints opening, reopening talks with Jarvis Landry. So on and so forth. Go vote on our poll question, and we will discuss it throughout the show once again on Facebook and Twitter. All right, James, let's talk NBA playoffs now, and we'll start with Friday's games. There were two on Friday. The 76ers demolishing Miami. 99-79 to 79 to cut the lead to 2-1. to one. Tyrus Maxey with 21 and 6. Jimmy Butler scoring 33 and 9 in the loss. I mean, this game, I mean, just it, it seems like it was pretty close at halftime. Uh it was only a seven-point lead for the Sixers at half. But man, in the second half, it's 58 points from the Sixers to run away with it. It was wild because I knew obviously Jimmy can score. He's really good on defense, but he can definitely score. And the fact that you look at Miami only scoring seventy nine. How often do you see the a team score like under eighty five yeah, in a game often. nowadays? With how offense and Jimmy scores thirty three. That's forty two percent of the team's points. I know PJ Tucker's not much of a scorer. Bam's more of a defensive guy as well. Kyle Lowry's on. 
a, a little on the older side and is kind of towards the end of his career. Yeah, almost. but how does Kyle not score any points in 25 minutes of work? How do you, how do you not score? How do you only take four shots? Victor Oladipo, how has he only taken five shots a night? It was a tough night for Tyler as well. He he went he only shot thirty three percent. This the team overall was poor. They were twenty three percent, twenty three percent from three, thirty five overall. Yeah, that's not great. I mean, they did all right for free throws, but they got out rebounded by nine. And it's obvious that they're missing Duncan Robinson, right? Yeah, Dunk, Duncan Duncan means a lot to their offense because he's the catch and shoot guy. He's he's the Clay Thompson for the Heat. So the fact that they didn't have him in the lineup and the only other real shooter they have is Hero and he had a bad night. Right. So and then, you know, when the Sixers have four scorers scoring in double digits and all four of them being in the 15 to 25 range. I mean, Harden with 17, Maxi with 21, Embiid had 18, Danny Green ties in 21. I mean, yeah, where's the, where's Danny Green coming from with his 7 of 9 from 3? Hey. Where 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 did that come from? Hey, sometimes you just gotta come alive in the playoffs. And it was funny because he didn't do that in the bubble. Lakers were calling for him. Boom. Well, it's because he played for the Lakers. Yeah, but still, I mean, if you're gonna be the shooter for the team and you, and you're shooting like three for nine every night. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. But then he shoots seven for nine against the Miami Heat team, who's pretty good on defense. Like, well, where is this coming from? And then the other game of the series, Dallas takes down Phoenix one hundred three to ninety four. I I knew they I knew it. I didn't. I was like, there's no way they go down three zero in this series. No. And and there's there's no way that the the Celt, I mean the Mavericks were going to let the Suns walk into Dallas. Like like you said, there's no way they're going to go down three zero. There's really no way that they were going to let them walk into Dallas and beat them on their home court. Mm-hmm. Not not when they needed a win. That wasn't going to happen. Luka Doncic, 26, 13, and 9. He also got 28 out of Jalen Brunson. Where has that been? Who is this guy? I was going to say, I don't know who that is. Because, I mean, don't get me wrong, Brunson was an animal in college. But the college game and the NBA game are much different. Oh, yeah. The Villanova guy, that's right. And, and Brunson hasn't done a whole heck of a lot. No, you haven't. You haven't heard a lot of his name in the NBA. Uh, so to see that kind of performance out of him was uh, was impressive. And then Saturday, you know, we already talked about the the Buck Celtics game, Warriors Grizzlies. You see, I got a I got a bone to pick with this game. I really do. Um, Warriors winning one forty two to one twelve. The Grizzlies never really had a chance, even with Ja scoring 34. They just never really could get going. I mean, they were up two to end the first quarter, but after that, they were outscored 38-29, 37-23, and then 41-32 in the final three quarters. And then in the fourth quarter, Ja gets hurt on really, and James, I'd like to get your opinion on, I, I found it to be a dirty play. I have to see it again because I, I think I did see it over the weekend, but he grabbed. I, I forgot who it was, but 
Ja lost the ball and, and he went to reach for it and somebody like grabbed his leg. It was his right knee, I believe. Yeah. It it was it was either Poole or is that Gary Payton? It's not Gary Payton. Gary or, Payton broke no, his elbow. No, no, that's Wiggins. No, um, that was Poole. He did grab his right knee. Yeah. Like what what was the point in that? That was dirty. And and Ja thought it was dirty too because he tweeted after the game that he broke the code. Which is the same thing that Steve Kerr alluded to when Gary Payton broke his ankle. He said that Dylan Brooks broke the code. There's a code between NBA players. There's an unwritten code. You know, bro code. Things like that. I could definitely see it because the ball was in Jaws' right. upper midsection. Right. And he's grabbing at the knee and then pulling on it. Right. There, there are certain things that you just don't do. And now Jaws' not going to be able to play tonight in, in game four. What kind of team are the Grizzlies going to be without Ja Morant? But it didn't look. But looking at it again, it's it's not like he really like ripped at it. It was kind of like a, a he barely put any effort into it. You know what I mean? There wasn't a lot of force of him pulling on his knee. Yeah, I mean clearly it had to be enough because I mean he 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 hurt. He, he I don't remember exactly what the injury was. Uh, I think I read a right knee sprain was, was what they ruled it. But, I mean, he's not going to play tonight, for sure. He might be out the rest of the series. And with the team that the Warriors are, no Ja Morant for the rest of the series? The Grizzlies are done. Yeah, it's, it's done they're at done. that point. Considering they only need two games left. Right, they're they're done for. Um, And then the two games yesterday... You had the Mavericks winning yet again, 111 to 101 to tie the series. Luka Doncic, 26, 7, and 11. Devin Booker with 35, 4, and 7. Not quite enough. Chris Paul failed to show up again. Chris Paul does this once a series. He has a game where the team can take control, and he doesn't show up. Game four against the Pelicans. Game four last night against the Mavericks. He didn't show up. The only time he showed up was when he was telling that kid, "I'll see you after the game." You saw that, huh? Yeah. I well, want to know the. I want to know like the full full story because I get it. The kid was saying some inappropriate things and was uh, physically touching his wife and his mom. I believe. Yeah. It was his mom. Yeah. I get that, but. I want to know what happened. Like, did this all of a sudden just? Did he just all of a sudden provoke? Right. I get it. He was a he was a Mavericks fan, so he's like trying to like do whatever he can. And he was obviously young. He looks like he's fourteen, fifteen. He's he's probably just trying to do whatever he can to like get in the the Suns' head to help the Mavericks get whatever advantage they can. Am I not? Am I saying that he's? Like I'm giving a pass for that? No, but I want to know what fully happened. What came up to that point for the kid to say the explicit things and to physically touch the wife and the mom of Chris Paul? Yeah, from the article that I that I read from from ESPN, it says that the the fan was removed 
Uh, Paul's mother, as well as his wife and their two children, watched the game in seats close behind the son's bench. His mother had hands put on her, and his wife was pushed. Uh, Paul's kids were there to witness it. Paul's wife was also followed up the aisle when she left her seat. I don't know. There, there's a lot of details that are unknown. There are a lot of details that are probably not going to be known. I was going to say there's probably minor details that we don't know about that could could be a reason as to why things got escalated so quickly, but we won't know. Right. Because they're keeping it under wraps. Right. Um, it, it's really... So it's obviously a bad situation because, you know, he wants to defend his family and nobody should ever lay hands on, on another human being. However... If if it is a minor, it's a bad look for Chris Paul. Yeah, you're telling a 15-year-old, I'm going to see you after the game. Like, you're probably just going to have a long talk with him. But when you say like that, like aggressively, and like point at him, like, I'm, I'm going to see you after the game. Like, as far as we know, we think you're going to beat the kid up. Right. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, not a, that's not a great look on Chris Paul's part. Um, but nowhere in, in multiple articles that I'm reading, nowhere does it say that it was a minor. So I don't know. But again, regardless, Chris Paul shouldn't be threatening people for the situation. There, there's, there's wrongs on both sides, right? Because the fans shouldn't have laid hands on Chris Paul's family. Nope. And Chris Paul shouldn't be threatening fans. So they're both in the wrong. I get why Chris Paul was angry. I get why he was upset, but there's better ways to handle it. Um, like what he should have done when he notified security of what was happening and they removed the fan from the arena, Chris Paul should have just left it at that. Let security do their job. You let them know what's going on. You let security do their job and you move on. Point blank, that's it. Um, but, you know, at this point, it really, it's, it's just going to be a, a conversation, a formality at this point. The game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to upgrade your experience for Downtown Rising. It's the ultimate Downtown Rising VIP experience. You could score a pair of VIP passes plus a chance to meet the Cold War kids. All you got to do is register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to win those VIP passes for Downtown Rising on Saturday, June 4th. The ultimate Downtown Rising VIP experience is presented by Social Entertainment, Raider Solutions, the Louisiana Rage and Cajuns, and the Game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Tiger Talk with the Advocates Wilson Alexander. It's on the other side of this timeout on the Game 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, just Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Johnson throws, Boutte's got it wide open at the 10, far side, he's in for the score, hit high, hammered to left field, going back, taking a look, is Holcomb, and it's gone! Time to talk all things Bayou Bengals with the advocates, Wilson Alexander. Here is Tiger Talk on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Wilson Alexander of the Advocate joins us here on Tiger Talk. Wilson, how's it going, my man? Uh, it's going all right. Uh, how are y'all this afternoon? Man, we're doing well. We're doing well. 
Let's let's dive into this LSU Alabama series. Taking two out of three of the from the tide, six to five on Friday. They fell eight to three on Saturday, and then offense just exploded yesterday in a twelve to three victory. You know, just just give us your thoughts overall on the series. Yeah, this was, um, you know, it was LSU. You know, you go into that rubber match game on Sunday um, after really one of the worst games that LSU had played this year with, you know, more errors, not great pitching, an offense that was really non existent outside of Dylan Cruz. And to see this team rebound uh, the next day uh, with a 12 to 3 win, uh, like you mentioned, on Sunday was really an encouraging sight. I mean, now they've, uh, they end up winning that series. Um, and now they've won four out of their last five series, three in a row. Um, the only sort of blemish being that, uh, you know, sweep uh, up in Arkansas. And so um, this was a, a solid weekend for them, um, you know, sort of start to finish. Uh, when it was all said and done, I should say, um, going on the road and winning a series. You know, you, you touched on the, the four of the last five series and then three straight. If you look at it, since the Arkansas sweep, the Tigers are eight and three in in their last eleven. How encouraging is that as you head into the last couple of weeks, with with Ole Miss and Vanderbilt being your your final two weekend series? It's absolutely encouraging. This is a team that, for the first maybe few, really you know, for maybe the first two months of the year, was kind of up and down, uh, defensively having quite a few issues and just couldn't. Get consistent. You know, it have these flashes where it looks like, okay, that looks like a, a good postseason team, and then moments where it didn't look like it'd be maybe even be able to host a regional. Um, it seems to be coming around. You know, we'll see what the you know ultimate ceiling is for this team. Um, but you want to be playing your best baseball at the end of the year, and they appear to be doing that. Chatting with Wilson Alexander here on Tiger Talk on Crunch Time with me, guys, and Mesh. Dylan Cruz, you, you mentioned his offense being really the only offense they had in the Saturday game against Alabama. He was named co-player of the week in the SEC today. Uh, he shared the honor with with B.T. Ryapol from Florida. If you look at his numbers in the Alabama series, he hit 636, which was 7 for 11, with a double, three homers, five runs scored, and seven RBIs. For the week, he was 563 with a 667 on base percentage. Just kind of talk about those numbers and what Dylan Cruz has meant to this Tigers team. He is so – I never get tired of watching Dylan Cruz bat. I mean, you know, from the moment he came in last year all the way till now, it's just – I sort of sit up in my seat, you know, even more so than I would normally just to watch him because it seems to do something incredible every single time. His opposite field power is so impressive – um, a good number of his, uh, 16 homers this year have gone opposite field. He, he's just, he's able to go in that direction, which is so impressive for any, a hitter at any level, but particularly in college. And he's had that since the moment, uh, he got here. Um, he just continues to get better, develop into an all around player. His defense has gotten better this year. He's played a reliable center field, um, for LSU this season. But as a hitter, he just does so much. I mean, it's, he's such a hard out to get, um, he can, you know, it doesn't really matter where you throw it. You know, he can get to the ball, and you know, like, because he can drive it to the opposite field. Um, he is, I mean, him and Jacob Berry offensively are everything to this team. I mean, top to bottom, this lineup's good. I mean, you got to mention Kate Doty, Trey Morgan. Um, there's so many guys who contribute um, and who have good offensive numbers. But it really starts with Dylan and Jacob, and Dylan is just—it's incredible that he's only a sophomore. Chatting with Wilson Alexander 
here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. You know, kind of breaking news, Wilson, the NCAA has, has issued new guidance on the NIL section of, of college athletics saying that boosters can't use NIL to sway recruits. You know, how do you think that changes the way that some schools recruit and, and just NIL as a whole? It's going to be interesting to see what sort of legal battles come out of this, um, because in a lot of instances, um, you know, people might lawyer up and say that, well, you know, what we did was was okay. I think the NCAA in this release has um, tried to avoid that by really emphasizing that it's sort of the most egregious um, cases could be investigated and there could be penalties that come from them. But this is the first instance of the NCAA since NIL went into effect last July of providing really some kind of guidance because right before that happened last July was the NCAA versus Alston antitrust decision from the Supreme Court, which really stripped the NCAA of any authority. And it was not enforcing any of its already existing rules. And, and so most of this stuff has been in place but hasn't been enforced. The only thing that you had to avoid was pay for play. And so a lot of things were being skirted because people could kind of easily get around that. Well, maybe not so much now. You know, this is the NCAA sort of saying, all right, we're going to, you know, we have some rules and we're going to enforce those. Um, we'll see kind of what comes out of all of it. But it's certainly the, the governing body of college sports uh, sort of bowing its neck a little bit here. All right, Wilson. Tigers have four games this week, all four at home. They'll play Southeastern tomorrow. And then they have a three-game set with Ole Miss. Ole Miss, you know, not having the season that they've envisioned but you know they they aren't far removed from being one of the powers that be in in, in college baseball, and then obviously there's the story with, with Mike Bianco and and then his son playing for LSU. What kind of weekend are are you expecting at Alex Box? Well, yeah, I mean this is the last uh, home series of the year because they end the end the year by going on the road to Vanderbilt, um, and of course you know there could be some SEC play, but last you know regular season series of the year, and, and so. And against a rival like Ole Miss, I'd expect a, a pretty raucous environment at Alex Box this weekend. Like you mentioned, Ole Miss is not having a great season, 10-14 and 14 in the league. They're tied for fifth in the SEC West right now. Um, they, they just haven't been very good. Um, but it's still a team that, you know, anytime LSU and Ole Miss play, and kind of regardless of the sport, usually worth watching. And um, LSU still needs to be able to do what it, you know, take care of its own business uh, at home. But it should be quite the series with, with those storylines that you mentioned. You know, you, you hit on taking care of its business. I've got one more question for you. Coming down the stretch here in May, you know, like you said, there's two more series, and then you have the SEC tournament in Hoover. What do you think the likelihood is that, that LSU hosts a regional? What do you think they have to do to get that done? If they win these next two regular season series, I'd be shocked if they were not a regional host because if they, even if they dropped one, of a, a game, one game over the next two weekends, uh, you know, apiece, you're still looking at being 18 and 12 in the SEC, probably finishing second in the West, uh, maybe with even a chance at first, depending on what happens to Arkansas. And that should put you in line to host a regional. Their RPI, I think, is at 17 right now. Um, so they're right kind of on the cusp of that. They're ranked 17 in the latest D1 baseball poll as well. So they're right on that cusp. And if they can win these next two series, they should really be able to lock that up without having to do really much too much more in Hoover itself. Um, because, I mean, last time LSU hosted a regional, look at 2019, they were 17 and 13 in the league. Um, they'd be a little bit hair better at 18 and 12. Even 17 and 13 would give them a good shot. 
Um, they probably, you know, they're, you know, shocking if they were able to push themselves up into like even the national seed conversation at this point. That's probably uh, well out of the question. But um, a regional host uh, is certainly within reach if they can get it done over the next two weeks. And, and lastly, you know, what has Jay Johnson said recently about the performance of his team? You know, taking two out of three against Alabama, taking two out of three against Georgia, and and really, like I said, positioning themselves to be a regional host. He sort of expressed some confidence lately. There, there was a quote in his post game radio show after the series, after that Sunday game against Georgia, where he said, you know, that he felt like that was a game they deserved to win, and, and he had another uh, pretty confident statement um, after the game on Sunday, where he just he liked what he saw from his team and. Um, I can find, he said it was one of his favorite wins of the year, and that how they had some adversity. He said in the last 24 hours, partially with you know Jacob Berry having his uh, finger injury, and they didn't flinch. And so he's proud of what they're doing right now, and I think he sees a team that's gaining more confidence as they play uh, and get deeper into the season and continue to rack up some wins. Wilson Alexander of the Advocate has been our guest for Tiger Talk. Wilson, appreciate you taking the time as always, my man, and uh, we'll, we'll talk next week. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'll have a great afternoon. Tune in next week for another edition of Tiger Talk. Here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blue. That's because once you become a member of our rewards club, you'll have the opportunity to win some excellent prizes, like a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House. We want to help you take your special lady out for some delicious seafood. The only way to win that $50 gift certificate to Half Shell is by joining the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. So go sign up, like, right now. A couple of softball headlines to get to. The Sunbelt Conference and the Southland Conference handed out their yearly awards today. We'll start with the Cajuns. Nine Cajuns earning all Sunbelt honors, and that was highlighted by Melissa Mayu being named the Sunbelt Player of the Year. Jordan Campbell was also named the Sunbelt Newcomer of the year. It's the third consecutive year that they handed out Sunbelt awards that Louisiana claimed both player of the year and newcomer of the year. Joining the first team is along with Mayu and Campbell are Sophie Piscos and designated player Carly Heath. And then on your second team is Kendra Lamb, Sam Landry, Stormy Kotzelnik, Alexa Langliers, Maddie Hayden. It was the most players from the Sunbelt Conference put on the all-conference teams. And it is the third straight time under Glasgow's coaching tenure that at least eight players from the Cajuns were put on the Sunbelt all-conference teams. So congratulations to to them. And then McNeese, Southland Conference. Ashley Vallejo was named Pitcher of the Year Kendall Talley was named Newcomer of the Year, and head coach James Landrineau was named the Southland Conference Coach of the Year. 
also named to the first team was Kaylee Cross, Jill Poulard, and Kaylee Lopez. And then to the second team was Chris Moreno, Gracie Duvall, Alea Seneca, and Kendall Talley. They will be the number one seed in the Southland tournament, while the Cajuns will be the number one seed in the Sunbelt tournament. The Cajuns will play Wednesday at 10 a.m. against the winner of Coastal Carolina and UL Monroe, while McNeese's first game will be at 11 a.m. on Wednesday as well. Opponent also to be determined. They will play the winner of Northwestern State and Incarnate Word. Quick update to the poll question of the day. What was your favorite part of the weekend? Was it the Derby? Was it LSU baseball? Was it Cajuns baseball? Was it something else? So far, 50% of you say Cajuns baseball. 8% say LSU baseball. 42% say the Kentucky Derby. And on Facebook, we've got two comments to the poll question. We love getting comments to the poll question on Facebook. Jamie Green chimes in, Demons winning the series against McNeese. Told y'all on Friday, Mr. Miguez. Yeah, he did. Jamie's talking that trash, and I'm here for it. And then Jude Miller says, LSU baseball, go Tigers. James, what was your favorite part of the weekend? I'm, I've, I've said this. I'm not huge on horse racing. The biggest thing I do for horse racing is the casino in GTA 5. But hearing hearing that call when, when we first played it, that gave me goosebumps. Oh, it was, it was wild. Like like hearing hearing the thundering of the horses racing and the call itself from Tariko and I forget who the live guy was. Who who was the I guess the play by play because oh, Tariko was the color commentator. Yeah, like just hearing the both of them combine, like and and actually seeing the race where it's like I'm seeing strike come out of nowhere and just kind of like Larry Colmes progressively get past him. Yeah. Yeah, Larry Colmes was the play-by-play guy for NBC. Um yeah, dude, that that call that that is what you want out of sports, right? Mhm. Like that is what those moments are or what we as sports fans, you know, kind of live for. Which is which is always so much fun. This is a story about the betting handles. $179 million was placed on bets from the Kentucky Derby. Let that sink in for a second. $179 million. That's how much money was placed, which is a 17% increase over last year, according to Churchill Downs. Only $501,135 of the total amount was on Rich Strike. Which is the lowest of any horse in the field? Rich Strike was eighty to one, as you as you would assume, as right. the, as the longest shot. Well, right, right. Uh, Rich Strike was even a bigger long shot in Nevada. At one point in March, Rich Strike was at three hundred to one, and according to the Circa Sportsbook in Las Vegas, a bunch of people placed twenty-five to fifty-dollar bets. And it actually turned into a small loss for the book. He, they estimated 
75 to 100 bets placed on Rich Strike. Many were in the last 15 minutes prior to the race. That added up quickly. And if I did it all over again, I probably wouldn't change too much. We'll talk about Mattress Mac on the other side, too. The Houston furniture store owner who loves making big bets. And he made another big bet on the Derby. Uh, Try $1.5 million on a straight bet for Epicenter to win. Now, Epicenter was the favorite. Epicenter did win the Louisiana Derby to qualify for the Kentucky Derby. But, God, $1.5 million on one horse? He lost $2.6 million on the Derby as a whole. To have that much money. In hour number two, Patrick Murphy from Buck Nuts, the 247 page that covers Ohio State, will join us for an in-depth analysis of Chris Alave and the hotline will be open for the remainder of the show, 706-0111. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles in Southwest Louisiana's sports station. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour number two of two. It's 502 on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Matt Miguez, James Mesh. To recap this, this crazy weekend, Rich Strike, the 80 to 1 long shot, comes from the literal back of the field. To win the Kentucky Derby, LSU baseball takes two out of three at Alabama. The Cajuns baseball team sweeps UTA at home. The Astros get a sweep, winner of their last seven, seven and zero on the homestand. Cajuns softball sweeping ULM and also sweeping the All Conference awards today, and a, a whole lot more. Producer extraordinaire James Mesh still with me. James, you know, I, I saw Where else some, would I go? Well, that's a good point, <laughs> first of all. Uh, secondly, I saw something that I find to be quite interesting. And it is a conversation of day three draft selections that are in the best position to contribute early. And it is according to Pro Football Focus. It's according to Pro Football Focus. Day three rookies in the best situation to produce in year in year one. You got a couple of obvious ones. You got Damian Pierce from Florida coming in at running back for the Texans. You've got Romeo Dubes, a wide receiver from Nevada. You got Kyle Phillips. But then you go down to the bottom, and the bottom two are, are the two names that intrigue me. It's Kobe Bryant, the corner from Cincinnati in Seattle. And then Percy Butler from Louisiana playing for the Commanders. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on on that? Those two guys being day three possible producers in year one in the NFL? I could definitely see... Well. Looking at Percy, I mean, yeah, he's all. He, I thought initially he would be more of the special teams guy. 
Mm-hmm. I didn't think he would necessarily be playing a bunch on defense because he played so much special teams when he was a raging Cajun. Mm-hmm. So that one does shock me a little bit to think like, oh, he could be like the number three overall safety on the team. That would shock me a little bit. I'm not as shocked about Kobe Bryant because if you look at the Seahawks roster, their number one corner is Sidney Jones. Right. Like, yep. like I've heard of him before, and I know who Justin Coleman is, who's their number three in their slot guy. But Ari Burns, you don't really want him as your number two. Right. Daniel Jeremiah called Percy Butler the best free safety in the NFL draft. So we'll see if, if DJ's words ring true in 2022. There is an a statement that has been released from the American Airlines Center in Dallas. And it says, American Airlines Center and Dallas Maverick security and executives have concluded the investigation into the incident involving the Paul family. Two unruly fans attempted to give unwanted hugs and have conversations with public, with members of the Paul family on the public concourse of American Airlines Center. AAC security responded immediately once notified by the family, and the fans were swiftly ejected from the game. The fans involved in the incident will not be allowed to return to the arena until 2023. So banning them for a year from the arena. Yeah, why are you hugging them? <laughs> yeah, why? Why Why are you hugging the wife and mom and I guess children as well, since the kids were there. Right. And, why and, are you and, hugging them of the opposing team? And then, and then also, why are you approaching them on the concourse? Because that means you followed them, which is weird. That's not a great situation. Look, group of high school friends. Because I I saw the video again. And I'm pretty sure those other kids that were near them, pretty sure those were also like the little friend group together. Right. And usually when you got little high school boys together, they get into shenanigans and like come up with stupid ideas. So probably be like, oh, that's Chris Paul's mom and wife and kids. Oh, it's like I either like go mess with them or like try to hug them and like, it'll be funny. It'll be funny, dude. Like, you know what I mean? It, I, I feel like that's something that would have happened. Yeah. That, and that might be the case as to why they would do something as odd as try to hug them. Yeah. I. It's, it's still weird. Yeah, yeah it's definitely it's a weird, weird. But I feel like trying to go back to my middle school, high school state of mind. Right. And like doing doing stupid things with my friends, that might that might come up. And be like, hey, I know who that guy is. It'll be funny if we like go right. hug, go hug them or like go say, hey, like, oh, I'm your biggest fan or something. You know what I mean? Bad news for you. Bad news for me. Oh, is someone out for the Celtics? The Celtics have announced that Robert Williams will miss Game Four versus the Bucks due to left knee soreness. Not shocked. He does get injured a lot. And going back to Robert Williams, that 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 was another player that got physically assaulted by the Bucks. I, I I think it was Bobby Portis that elbowed him in the eye. 
and he had to leave for like ten minutes to go make sure right. like he he still had his eye in, intact because of how hard he got smacked during a rebound. Right, right. And they didn't. And 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 you know what's funny? He sat there during the whole possession on the opposite side, never got a call. He just got elbowed in the eye, sat there on the floor trying to regather himself. And and, you, and they're and still you, playing basketball. And you real salty about this, aren't you? I am, yeah. because like if if I'm getting hit in the eye and I might lose my eyesight and I'm not at least getting a foul for it, like what the hell? That's fair. That's fair. Uh, according to Ime Udoka, Grant Williams will start in his place. Grant is Grant is the Iron Man. He's he's and been you know, it, he's been attacked by Giannis all series. Him and Al Horford, they have been attacked by Giannis all series and Brooke Lopez, and they have stood strong the whole time. And it, it, it's crazy the role that he's taken on with the Celtics because I was a fan of him in college at Tennessee, but I didn't expect him to be the guy in the NBA that he has been. He and that's the thing is because he was he was a defensive guy. He had no shot. Whatsoever, he was like Lonzo. He he could not put the ball in the basket to save his life. Right. But the last couple of years, you've seen him progress and just be like just a regular three and D guy. But the only threes that he would shoot are corner threes. That's still his main thing. But when you watch him, he's out here faking sidestep, take the shot, and that's not just at the corner. That's also at the wing. That's also at the top of the key. So he's only been evolving. And I found this hilarious because I remember when other other Celtics fans and other accounts they would bash Grant Williams and be like, "Get this guy off the team." And I'm like, "Do you not see the value this guy has?" Right. Like he, Marcus Smart's the defensive player of the year, but that man is one of the anchors and is one of the big reasons why this team is so good defensively and is able to make sure that the Celtics don't give up leads late in the fourth quarter because they tend to do that and tend to choke leads. And having someone like him, that prevents you from doing that. Do the Celtics win tonight and tie the series? I think they have a very good shot. I will I will ultimately say yes based on how poorly they played on Saturday and they still only lost by two. I like the chances because are you really going to see Jason Tatum Shoot four for nineteen and zero for six from three, and the true. only and the only shots that he makes are layups. That's true. Yeah, that's not going to happen again. So, I got an interesting question that's been circulating around Twitter, and I want to get your answer. If you could travel back in time and change the outcome of one single play that occurred in your favorite sports team's history, which play would you change, and what would the new outcome be? It's a toss up between. It's definitely it's definitely gonna be a Saints play. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so um I'll go first. It's the no call. Yeah. Um they call pass interference. We get the ball at the you know five yard line and you Al- just run three plays, Alvin you burn the timeouts Alvin and Kamara, they don't score. Right. You kick the field goal with right. like twenty seconds left. Correct. That would be my outcome. I was thinking that as well. Are you saying a call, or are you saying just like change a a play? Just the outcome. Just the outcome of a specific play. A single play, play. correct. Because I could very easily go. I was I was thinking no call, 
I was also leaning Minnesota Miracle. The Minneapolis Miracle, yeah. Or That's true. Or like Marcus Williams makes the tackle. Yeah, he actually makes the tackle inbounds. Uh game done, game over. But if I had to choose another one, I would definitely go and I've answered this question before with one of our get to know the game questions. Mm-hmm. I would I would have it to where Vernon Davis doesn't score on that oh, touchdown. Oh, against the Niners? Yeah. For the Niners, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And that one hurt. Take take that away? That one hurt real bad. Because he scored with, what, 15 seconds left? Yeah, there wasn't much time left at all. So stop that, and then obviously following that, you would just have stands and they don't score the touchdown. Right. Or get the field goal to win. Because they were only down three. It's crazy. Him. Actually, I would. I actually, now that I think about, it, they were all, they. The game into thirty six thirty two. They, it, they only would have had to kick a field goal. I could go that, but then you would have to leave so much more. Of what happens in overtime because right. Robbie Gold wasn't going to miss a thirty yard field goal. That's true. To tie That's the true. game, so I, I'd probably just go Minneapolis Miracle because tackle inbounds. It, Game over. You go to the Eagles in Philly. It's crazy how many moments in Saints history have just been really unfortunate. Yeah, there are a lot. Uh, or you could take away Beastquake. That way, I never have to see it on Instagram sports accounts. Ever where they're like, again. "Hey, remember Beastquake? Oh, how could I forget?" Right. Let's take a time out when we return. Patrick Murphy, who covers Ohio State for twenty four seven Sports, will join us for an in depth analysis on new Saints wide receiver. Chris Olave, you're listening to Crunch Time with me, guys. A mesh on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. May 9th, 1984. The Chicago White Sox defeat the Milwaukee Brewers 7 6 in a 25 inning game that began the day before. It's tied for the second longest game in MLB history second only to a 26-inning game in 1920 between the Brooklyn Robins and Boston Braves. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Next home, Cutting Edge Realty is holding their annual Loop Day on June 11th from 9 to 1. The charity event will benefit Canine Companions, which is a nonprofit that gives to those with disability dogs. The event will be located at Bowie Park, the dog park at Bowie Park, at 411 West Bluebird Drive in Lafayette. A food truck as well as the Kona Ice Snowball Stands will be on site, plus music, treats, and prizes. All proceeds will be donated to Canine Companions, that's next home cutting realties loop day on June 11th. Welcome back to Crunch Time with me, guys. A mesh right here on the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Chris Olave was the guy that the Saints wanted at wide receiver for a while. It was what Saints fans wanted at wide receiver. The Saints traded up five spots to get him. And as Saints fans, we couldn't be happier with the choice. However, there's still a lot of questions to answer about Chris Olave. So I figured why not bring in an expert on Ohio State to do just that. Patrick Murphy of 247 Sports 
joins us. Patrick, good afternoon, man. How's your Monday going? It's going pretty good. Thanks for having me on, guys. So let's start with Chris. Let's just dive right in. You know, looking at his Ohio State stats, nearly 3,000 yards, 35 touchdowns. In, in really, you look at it, 38 games played in his time at Ohio State. J- just walk through his contributions as a Buckeye. Well, they were huge. I mean, you go back to his freshman year, he came in, um, and, and I don't know how familiar your listeners are kind of with his recruiting story, but because he had to sit out his junior year of high school due to transfer rules, he wasn't, uh, I think he was a three-star recruit by most most ranking services. So not, not a lot of hype around him coming in, though the Ohio State staff liked him, but got on the field as a freshman, largely due to an injury um, on offense. He was on special teams his entire career at Ohio State and just kept building from there. And, you know, each year got better and better. His numbers, you, you, you sort of mentioned them there, would have been even better, but Ohio State only plays a uh, shortened season in 2020 because of what happened with, with COVID and the Big Ten and whatnot. So instead of having, what was it there, uh, 729 yards and seven touchdowns in seven games, you extrapolate that out, Buckeyes went to the national championship game. I mean, he could have had a 1,000-yard season there and came up just short as a senior and in an offense that had quite a few weapons. So a really talented player, a guy who's going to work hard to continue to get better. Like I said, he did it every year at Ohio State and uh, you know, obviously comes from, from a program that has produced uh, quite well for wide receivers in the NFL lately. You know, the, the Saints love the Ohio State connection because now with right. Chris Olave, you also have Marshawn Lattimore, Michael Thomas, Malcolm Jenkins, Von Bell, you know, on and on and on. What what do you think Chris Olave having a relationship already with Michael Thomas, what do you think that does for the Saints organization? I certainly don't think it can hurt things. I mean, it's, you know, walking into a room where you already know one guy, you know other guys on the roster, um, even if they didn't necessarily play together like Chris Olave and Mike Thomas. Mike Thomas has been back on campus on, on more than one occasion throughout Chris Olave's career. And these guys obviously, uh, you know, stay connected. They meet during recruiting and things like that. So I think that just gives him somebody to, you know, be familiar with, talk to about not only the team, but the city and, and kind of the, the expectations of what to expect at practice and game day. And obviously there's some changes going on with, with the Saints right now, but I do think that familiarity certainly helps. And, and then, you know, you just mentioned the guys that have come into the league to the Saints from the Buckeyes. I mean, all guys that are, were more or less ready to go. So you know what the program's producing, guys that, that can step in and contribute more or less right away, especially those high, highly selected guys like uh, most of those were. Chatting with Patrick Murphy from 247 Sports. He covers Ohio State. Looking at Chris Olave's measurements, six foot, 187 pounds. He's got nine and a half inch hands. He ran a four 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 three nine forty. You know, what what kind of position do you see him playing for the Saints? I think he can do a little bit of everything in terms of, of being a receiver, and that's something that Ohio State under wide receivers coach Brian Hartline has really preached. Um, they've recruited similar body types, but even some of the, the bigger or, or smaller guys they've gotten, they coach them all to play all three of the positions in their offense. So Chris Olave didn't often line up in the slot. He was usually an outside guy, 
but he can certainly do a lot of the things needed. You mentioned that speed. His change of direction is great. He's, he's a fantastic route runner. I mean, I think that was probably the most underrated thing of his, especially early on in his career that helped to make him successful was when people didn't know his name as much. He, he was able to, to really refine that part of his game and, and that got him on the field. So, yeah, I think he can play wherever the Saints need him to, to do. And as I said before, he's, he's a willing worker. So if it's something that he needs to improve on, he certainly will. We saw him do that at Ohio State, kind of adjust to what the offense needed over his four years. You touched on his route running. You touched on his speed. What are some other strengths that he has that he can bring to the table? Well, I think on the field, um, those are probably the, the biggest things. I mean, he's he's just a receiver. You know, he, he can do a little bit of all of it off the field. You know, he became much more of a leader in the Ohio State offense throughout his career. And I think the decision for him to come back this past season, you know, maybe he doesn't get drafted as high if he's, he's only played three years and one of those years being um, a shortened season. But it was also because he felt like his teammates deserved another year uh, that they kind of let things slip away um, the year before. And, and maybe the year didn't go as well as they thought, but that's, that's a sign of somebody who cares about his teammates. So I think he'll step in with the Saints and, and bring that same type of energy. You know, he's a quiet guy, opened up more throughout his time at Ohio State, at least to those of us in the media. He may be different in, in the locker room with his buddies, but, uh, you know, he, he certainly grew as as a young man coming up through Ohio State, and I think he'll do that too as he gets more comfortable in New Orleans. Chatting with Patrick Murphy of 247 Sports. I saw that he blocked two punts during his career. Yeah. You know, could could you see him playing special teams at all in the NFL? For sure. If if he's asked to do that, I mean, that's how he first got on the field, as I mentioned at Ohio State, was playing special teams as a freshman, and he was in on that at various special team units his whole career. I mean, he, he was something, it was something he took a lot of pride in and kind of led the way. Terry McLaurin, who's, who's now in Washington, did the same thing. There have been a number of those guys that, have kind of uh, set the standard, and, and he's one of them that, that you know, just unselfish and willing to do what the team needs him. Um, of course, he wants to be out there on offense. He wants to be catching passes, scoring touchdowns, those type of things. But if, if he can go out and make a play on, on special teams like that, he definitely will. And, and the two you mentioned, the first one was against Ohio State's rivals, Michigan, his freshman year, I believe, and, and it was a huge play in that game. So he, he can certainly be a, uh, a game changer in more ways than just catching passes. Now, what would you say, with, we talked about his strengths, what would be some of his weaknesses that he needs to develop when he gets to the NFL? Yeah, I think like any receiver, um, you know, he'll, he'll have to just kind of get used to the speed of the game. Obviously, playing Ohio State helps that. Um, you know, he's not the biggest guy. You, you know, you can't change that. His, his size is what it is. So, you know, he has to make up for that in other ways. And, and like I said before, he has with some of the work he's done and, and kind of the things you can improve. Um, you know, good hands, but, you know, that I think is something he can always continue to work on. I think almost all receivers can continue to work on that. But from a college perspective, there wasn't much. I mean, he was one of the top receivers in the country. Obviously, look at how where he was drafted. Um, you know, I think it will be little things that, that make that much more of a difference on the step from college to the NFL. And like I said before, I don't have any doubts that he will do what he needs to do. The, the, the kid's just a great kid, and, um, you know, his, his work ethic was second to none. Yeah, that w- that leads me into my next question. You know, you touched on him being a great kid. You touched on him earlier being a, a great leader in the Ohio State locker room. What kind of person are the New Orleans Saints getting into their organization? A great one. I, I, Ohio State has, has gone out of its way, especially in the receiver room. These guys have been 
fantastic humans, um, you know, stuff in the community, doing things around here, even before, you know, NIL stuff was, you know, encouraging them, I guess I'll say, to do that. Uh, he, he was a part of that. You know, I always really enjoyed talking to him. As I mentioned before, he kind of opened up more and more throughout uh, his career here and got more comfortable doing media availabilities and things like that. So he was always good, real intelligent guy, um, you know, both about football and about other things. I think fans, as, as they kind of get to know him a little bit more and, and he spends what will hopefully be a, a long career with the Saints, I think they'll really warm up to Chris Olave and he'll do the same to the city. Patrick Murphy of 247 joining us here on Crunch Time with me guys and Mesh. I've got one more for you, Patrick. Um, the, the Saints traded up from 16 to 11 to acquire Olave when receivers were falling off the board you know, left and right. The Saints had to give up a third and fourth round pick to move up those five spots. And a lot of people are, are asking the question, did the Saints give up too much? What are your thoughts on that? Do you think they gave up too much to trade up to get them? No, I don't, because I think you look at, and, and I don't know the, the, the very de- details of the Saints roster, but I paid attention to that team just because there are so many Buckeyes down there. And I think, you know, adding another elite receiver, um, you know, given his, the, the quarterback situation and whatnot, it, it just makes it easier on whoever is going to be in there in, in the post-Drew Brees world that the Saints are now in. You get back Michael Thomas on the other side, hopefully fully healthy. And, you know, I think now you have a duo um, that, that can – you know, be out there for whoever's quarterbacking the team for, for years to come. So I think that locks that up. I mean, you look at what the, the Bengals did last year. Obviously, they had their quarterback in place, but that receiving core was huge. The Rams, the same thing. They, they'd loaded up on receivers. So this is, this is the world we live in, the passing world that is the NFL. College football is doing it, too. And I think having talented receivers like Chris Olave will certainly uh, make that uh, easier of a transition. Patrick Murphy of 247 Sports has been our guest. Patrick, appreciate you taking the time on this Monday. Uh, really appreciate your insight into Chris Olave. Before you run, man, tell our listeners where they can where they can find your work. Yeah, we're, as you mentioned, the 247 Sports Network, the Ohio State site, which is called Bucknuts. Um, and I'm on Twitter, at underscore Pat underscore Murphy. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's where you do it. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. And anytime you want to talk Buckeyes, I'm certainly here to do it. Appreciate you, Patrick. Y'all have a great one. All right, you too. There he goes, Patrick Murphy of Bucknuts on 247 Sports. What a clever name for a blog about Ohio State, right? Before we run, the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to take you out to the ball game with our latest Astros weekend getaway. The Houston Astros take on the Texas Rangers on May 21st, and you can be there. Register in the game clubhouse, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to score four tickets, a ballpark tour, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astros weekend getaways powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, Lameridian Houston downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Crunch time with Miguez and Mesh back after this timeout on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. Crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, 35 minutes after 5 o'clock here on this Monday. 
What was your favorite part of the weekend? Was it the Kentucky Derby? Was it Tigers baseball, Cajuns baseball, or something else? Greg Stout comes in on Facebook and says the Kentucky Derby. And then this morning on RP3 and company, they had their poll question that I thought was was rather interesting. What was the biggest upset? What is the biggest modern era sports upset? Rich Strike wins the Derby. NC State beats Houston. Douglas KOs Mike Tyson. Something else. Um, Looking at some of the comments, Brian Fox says the 2004 Red Sox over the Yankees in the ALCS. That was crazy. Villanova beating Georgetown. That was also, you know, one of the one of the top upsets in in recent memory. Rich Strike is definitely going to be up there, though. I mean, eighty to one. Just those odds alone are absolutely insane. However, let's talk about the Rage and Cajuns now winning all three of their games this weekend at home against UT Arlington, four to three, four to three. And then six to five. Two of the games were walk-offs. We'll start with Friday night. You know, it was just it was one of those games. It was kind of back and forth. Uh, the Cajuns. It was zero zero through the first three innings, and then the Cajuns came across with one in the fourth, and then they gave up three in the sixth. And that's when things kind of started to look bleak. But immediately in the bottom half of the sixth, Cajuns add two to tie it back up. And then they would get the dagger in the ninth on on a Connor Kimple walk-off single with the bases loaded. Connor Kimple going three for five in the contest with that one RBI. Kyle DeBarge, however, getting all three RBIs before that walk-off. James, Kyle DeBarge, I, I asked him this question Friday night after the game. He just shows up again and again for this team. There's a reason I call him Swagalicious. And he finally got his swag back. He was he had yep. a slump lately. He did. And then he finally came back to the series and he woke up. And it happened at the right time. And and here here was DeBarge on his approach in in that leading off that inning. Just trying to find ways on. I was on the plate, maybe get hit by a pitch. I mean, I wanted to see one first, whatever, and then got a breaking ball up and hit it good. So, With the bases loaded, once again, Connor Kimple hits a single through the right side of the infield to walk it off and beat UT Arlington 4-3. to And then on Saturday, kind of more of the same. UT Arlington scores two in the second to jump out to an early 2-0 lead. The Cajuns would respond, however, with two in the fifth and two in the sixth to go up 4-2. They would give up one more in the eighth. But 12 hits for Louisiana as they win 4-3. Jacob Schultz doing seven innings of work, only giving up five hits on the night. Kyle DeBarge again going two for four. Julian Brock going two for three. The doubles galore. Heath Hood with two, Kyle DeBarge with one, and then Carson Rockefort with one. Max Marshak coming in clutch on Saturday with an RBI single through the left side of the infield. 
And then Sunday. Sunday was just, you know, one of those baseball games. You give up three in the first. You answer with one in the second, two in the fourth to tie it, and then you get two in the sixth to take the 5-3 lead, and then you give up one in the eighth and one in the ninth for UTA to tie it yet again. But then in the 11th, Trey LaFleur, who just recently came back from injury for Louisiana, gets the walk-off for the second time in the weekend for the Cajuns to walk off a game. Carson Rockefort hitting his 13th home run of the season in yesterday's contest. And then Trey LaFleur hit the two-run home run in the sixth that gave them that 5-3 lead after six innings. Pitching-wise for the Cajuns yesterday, Jeff Wilson going six innings, giving up six hits and three runs. And David Christie coming in with an inning pitched to get the win for Louisiana with the three wins on the weekend, the Cajuns improved to 28 and 17, 17 and 7 in the Sun Belt, while UT Arlington fell to 14 and 34, 6 and 18 in the Sun Belt Conference. James, I know you didn't get to make it to any of the games, but just looking at at the statistics and the way things went down, give me your thoughts on the weekend. Can we talk about the sixth inning? Which that, that's the ma- well, that's just the magic inning for oh, the just, Cajuns in just general. In general. Yeah, they always find ways to score in that inning. Yeah, it, it feels like, especially this series, because they use it to uh, to tie the game back up on Friday. On Friday, they use it to take the lead on Sunday, and I believe on Saturday they had also done it. Yeah. So, like the, the sixth inning to me is the magic inning for the Cajuns. It it really has been. Um, yeah, they, and they had two on Saturday, and, and you know the the win on Friday night put them. They're they're now sitting at fourteen and three in their last seventeen contest, uh, really finding their rhythm at the perfect time with just a couple weeks left in the season. But you know Matt Deggs, and we have an audio clip of him talking about this. He has said it time and time again that this team is the best group of finishers that he has ever had. And this is him talking about his team being able to close. That's just who they are. You know, we got all night. We've booked off the rest of the night. We would have played all night, and they they love it. They have fun playing, and nobody was in a hurry to get home. And so good things happen when you love to play, man. we got a guy playing that's puking in center field, another one battling a nosebleed, got blood all over him, a couple, two or three guys playing hurt, and – that's just who they are, and I respect them for it. The, the player puking in center field was Max Marshak. Uh, when, when talking with Matt Deggs, he was either battling food poisoning or dehydration or, or, or something. Because what I had asked him, he Max Marshak played the game Friday night. He had two strikeouts through six innings, six innings, which is very, you know, not like Max. I mean, obviously every baseball player strikes out, right? But Max has rarely struck out in two games. I mean, he's only struck out 30 times this season in 117 plate appearances. Um, And it's very rare that he struck out twice in a game. And so I'd asked Deggs about that. And and that's when he filled filled us in on that Max was throwing his guts up all night long. 
throwing up all night and, and uh, just wasn't going to, you know, let him. Uh, sometimes you got to save them from them a little bit. He didn't want to come out. And uh, but we're going to need him too. I don't want him dehydrated or anything like that. Uh, he's a very well put together kid, but there's not a lot of fat there. I don't want him dehydrated and, and not able to go tomorrow. Uh, plus, I like Trey's matchup right there. He just missed that ball. Now looking at the RPI, as as you do at this point of the year, the Cajuns fall to fifty three. See, this is this is what bugs me about the RPI. I understand that UTA is not a very good baseball team. They're dead last in the Sun Belt. I understand that. And I understand that you had to walk them off twice to sweep the series. However, if you sweep anybody, much less a conference opponent, how do you fall seven spots in the ranking that is supposed to matter the most? doesn't make any sense to me. That is the one flaw of the RPI. I mean, look at the Ab State series. You win two out of three, you fell ten spots. This weekend, you sweep, you fall seven more. James, do, do you agree with me? Like, that's insane. It doesn't make sense. It's insane. How do you, how, so it's, so you get punished for winning. I don't get it. Basically. So, so it's like, what happens if you lose? You get punished even more? Yeah. Like that's a lose lose situation. You, you, you get punished even harder. Um. Yeah. It, it really just doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense to me. But Cajun sitting at fifty three in the RPI, they'll have a great opportunity to to make some ground up next weekend as they go to Texas State, who is sitting at thirty eight in the RPI as of today. And here is Matt Daggs talking about the RPI. We're in a difficult spot, and I was in this spot at Sam Houston a ton. We were in this spot a ton in 14. There's no margin for error. And so for all intents and purposes, you know, the the path that we're on is doable. It's viable. We're in a uh, winner-take-all game every day, and that's fine. It'll just serve to toughen us up one way or another. I mean, our goals are still in front of us to win this league. Uh, If not, you know, finish in the top two and have our name called on Selection Monday. But to do that, you've got to stay in the microscope. You've got to stay here and now. And it's like tomorrow's the only game we have, and we'll do whatever it takes to win that game. Is it fun? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Is it pressure-packed? Sure, but these kids love it. They're having fun. And uh, if that don't work out, there's always more than one way to skin a cat. More than one way to skin a cat. It's a very intriguing way of putting it because he he's not wrong. There is multiple ways that the Cajuns could go about finding their way into the postseason. You could continue climbing up the RPI ladder. You could just go win the conference tournament outright. Or, you know, again, win a game here and there and, and hope that some teams around you kind of help you out a little bit. So... Dex is right. There's there's plenty of ways that the Cajuns could go about doing this. One more thing I want to touch on before we take our final time out of the show is UFC 274. Now, looking at the card, things obviously went haywire when Charles Oliveira missed weight and that no longer was a title match. But then you had the women's title fight 
And Rose lost. And Rose lost, yeah. Like, <sighs> Carla Esparza got her on a decision. But to, to be totally honest, the, the highlight of the night was Michael Chandler giving Tony Ferguson some, some night-night juice. <laughs> did you see that? I d- yeah, I did see it. Oh, my God. I, I think I, I do remember. I, I, saw a, I saw a picture of, of Tony Ferguson and, and his skin, like, peeling back. And I was like, man, now why y'all going to do that to Tony Ferguson? Like, like why y'all going to make him look like an old grandpa? Because I didn't watch UFC. Like, I didn't watch the pay-per-view, so I, don't, I didn't know what had happened. And I was like, man, why are y'all going to make him look like a grandpa, like some old man? Like, y'all are wrong for that. But then I found a video of what happened. And Michael Chandler caught him in the jaw so hard that his skin literally reverberated, like peeled back. And it was it was just one of the most disgusting things I have ever seen. Um, James... How how badly did did you miss on on your on your bet Saturday night? Well, because Oliveira wasn't gonna like keep his championship belt no matter what. Right. I felt like maybe he would be the one to ruin my parlay, so I just didn't do it. Oh. And then turns out Oliveira would have kept it intact, but it's Rose that lost. So either way, it's yeah, a good thing I didn't then, do it. And then you were gonna bet on Cowboy Cerrone who didn't even fight. Because I would have, but I was lean. I was leaning towards uh, Saint Prue. I was leaning towards him. Yeah, I was which, leaning towards putting him in the fight, which would have been which would have been a way to go because he won on the decision. Randy Brown also beat Kalen Williams in a decision. It's very it's very interesting to see a five fight card have three of them go to decision. I was I was intrigued by that. Crunch time with me guys and mesh right here on the game. As a reminder, the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with ride tickets for the Cajun Heartland State Fair at the Cajun Dome, May 26th to June 5th. All you have to do is text CHSF to 68683 to win a family four-pack of ride tickets. That's CHSF to 68683 to win ride tickets to the Cajun Heartland State Fair. We'll wrap up your Monday on the other side of this timeout. Crunch time with me guys and mesh on the game. Welcome back to Crunch Time with me, Yazimesh, right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, couple minutes left to go. James, I know you're not much of a hockey guy, but my Washington Capitals absolutely dominated on Saturday. So they, I'll, I'll fill you in on what happened. Jonathan Huberdo gave scored a goal for the Florida Panthers like two minutes into the game to put them up early one nothing, and then that was it for the for the Panthers because the Capitals scored six unanswered goals to win six to one. It was it was a great day to be a Washington Capitals fan. I bet. And they play again tonight, game four. The Caps are up two to one in the series, and you see that's a that's a position that I I don't want to be in as a fan because after you beat the team so badly the other night, now they're going to come for you. 
So you're scared of Foots theory? Oh, oh yeah. In hockey, for sure. That's true, because how often do you see a team score like four, five, six? Right. It's usually like a two to one. In hockey, for sure. Um, TJ Oshie getting the other goal for the for Washington in the first period. Marcus Johansson and Trevor Van Riemsdyk scoring in the second for the Caps. And then in the third, it was Alex Ovechkin, John Carlson, and Garnet Hathaway. Alex Ovechkin getting awfully close to Wayne Gretzky's all-time goals number. It It's coming, and it makes me happy. That's going to do it for this Monday edition of Crunch Time with me, guys, and Mesh on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. I want to send a huge thank you to Wilson Alexander from The Advocate for Tiger Talk and Patrick Murphy from Bucknuts247 to come on and talk Chris Alave tomorrow. We're going to the moon to talk some Houston Astros. We'll have some fun with that one. We'll take your phone calls as well tomorrow, 706-0111. For James Mesh, I am Matt Miguez saying be safe, be well, give a hug to your mom and them, and come back tomorrow for a Tuesday edition of Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles.